0: A couple weeks ago, as I was putting our daughter, Noble, to bed, I asked her which Jesus song she wanted to listen to, and her response kind of freaked me out a little bit. She said, I do Alligator, and I remember having one very specific thought. Oh, no, quarantine has broken our daughter. She thinks Jesus songs have Alligator in them, and I said, well, sweetie, which, which song do you mean? What song are you talking about? And she said, I do Alligator. See you later, Alligator. And I thought, oh, no, okay, like, I know there's the phrase, but what song? And then she said it again, but in the exact rhythm of a song that we had just heard on the Little Movers Online experience that we had watched earlier that day. She said, See you later, alligator. And I was like, Oh, okay, I know what song you wanna listen to. And so today I wanna read the words to the song that she was talking about. The song comes from uh, our Little Movers Online, and it says this I get scared sometimes, so I cover my eyes. But that's so silly, because God is always with me. So I stand up tall, remember he is strong. I won't be afraid. God is always with me. Fear, get out of here. Fear, get out of here now. Fear, get out of here. Get out of here for good. See ya. See you later. See you later, alligator. That's the beauty of, of Kids Church. That's the beauty of Little Movers Online, is my daughter has learned that she can say, fear, get out of here. So, Today we're wrapping up our series, Easy to Say, where for a few weeks we've been talking about some things that are easy to say but are difficult to live out or are easy to say but are difficult to personally believe or personally embrace because let's be honest, whether it's in quarantine or whether it's through the rest of life, we're all far better at talking than we are at living. We're far better at talking big than we are at living the large life that God would have for us. And so for today, um, I actually saved what I think is the biggest, maybe most important thing that we were going to to talk about. I saved it for today because this is one that, if I'm being honest, I thought if I say what I'm going to need to say about this topic, I'm not sure anyone's going to tu- tune in the rest of the time. I'm not sure anyone's going to tune in and want to hear anything else I have to say. But today we're going to talk about the phrase, I'm choosing faith over fear. I'm choosing faith over fear. Matter of fact, since we've all said it at some point or heard it at some point in the last eight weeks, let's all say that together on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. I'm choosing faith over fear. This is one of those things that we say in life. It's a common phrase, but when COVID started getting talked about and when the news started getting all about COVID back in, back in early March, we started to hear this and say this a lot. You saw this all over social media that we're choosing faith over fear. There's a couple different variations of this. I'm not going to be afraid of some virus, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, so I'm going to choose to live by faith. God is bigger than Corona. I'm going to live like God can protect me from any virus, which is fine until a couple of pastor friends got it, and you're like, did they not have enough faith? You know, why worry? This thing isn't going to change the way we live at all. Which, by the way, if you said that, just stand up and take a bow. (laughs) I mean, every one of us has been affected and changed by this whole thing. So we say, I'm not choosing fear, I'm choosing faith. Now, Here's the problem with that from a Christian standpoint. There is nowhere in the Bible that it talks about faith being the opposite of fear. And there's nowhere in the Bible where it talks about people being of great faith and having no fear. See, here's what I think it looks like when most people say this. I think it's almost like we would rather avoid feeling fear altogether. So we we cling to that cliche that we've heard from other people and heard from other people and heard from other people as a way to spiritualize the fact that we just want to avoid feeling fear rather than face fear in a way that requires any actual exercise of faith. Let me say that again. I think it looks like most of us would rather avoid feeling fear so we spiritualize it by using that cliche that has the word faith in it, instead of actually choosing a version of faith that requires us to face our fear and exercise our faith. That's why for some of us, we're, we're guilty of choosing faith, but it hasn't really looked like faith in God. It was faith in politicians to do the right thing and to be nonpartisan. Where did you get that idea? It, it was a faith in a certain politician. For some of you, you went, you know what? We have nothing to worry about. We have nothing to fear. President Trump is in charge. And for others of you, that fact fills you with fear. For some of you in our state, you said, you know what, we have nothing to fear. Our governor is in charge. And on the other side of the aisle, that caused fear for a lot of people. So politicians weren't the answer. For some of you, it was faith that if we just ignored things, it would go away and not affect us. So we're going to avoid the news, avoid social media, avoid everything so we didn't have to hear about this thing, and it would just go away on its own. It was maybe faith that you could make it for three weeks like this, and then life would get back to normal. And then it became four weeks and five weeks, and six weeks, and seven weeks, and eight weeks. It was faith in humanity, and that all went out the window the second you tried to go to the store and you couldn't find toilet paper for six weeks. Yikes. And so for a lot of us, our attempt to avoid fear led us to a version of faith without faith in God, which meant that your faith probably failed you at some point, and it didn't do anything to actually address your fear and it didn't do anything to address my fear. So I've got good news for you, and I've got some bad news for you. As a Jesus follower, you are not called to avoid fear. You are not called to avoid fear. As a Jesus follower, I am not called to avoid fear, which means for most of us, we have been handling fear wrong through this season, and if we're honest, we handle fear wrong through most of our lives. Come on, let's be honest. For most of us, our first response when we feel fear or when we feel an emotion that we don't like, our first response is not to face up to it. Our first response is try to avoid it or sweep it under a rug or cover it up or run from it. So we turn to quick and easy friendships. We turn to um, social media. We turn to our phones. We turn to binge watching on Netflix. We turn to online shopping. We turn to bottles. We turn to pills. We turn to all kinds of things because we would rather turn to something else and try to avoid our fear than simply run to it and face up to it. My good friend Clay Scroggins put it this way. He said, As feelings surface, you will be tempted to turn up some form of noise to avoid dealing with them. But by turning up the noise, you keep yourself from dealing with what's really going on inside of you. And so most of us, our first temptation is to run away from our fear or try to avoid our fear, but we're not called to avoid our fear. And if you're a Jesus follower, that's not what you're called to now, and it's not what you have ever been called to. And if I can for a second, if you're not yet a Jesus follower and you turned it, tuned in today for some reason, first of all, I'm so glad that you're here, but the, I want to tell you why you tuned in today, why I think maybe God would have you turn tune in today, it's because Throughout the life, whether or not you believe in the idea of a calling, you know that you were made for more than running from your feelings and avoiding fear. None of us were made to avoid fear. So I would say this, you're not called to avoid fear. You're called to face fear. Every single one of us, as Jesus followers, as human beings, we were created not to try to avoid our emotions or avoid our fear. We were called to square up and face our Fear. See, you've never once been commanded by God to bear your emotions or to avoid feeling what you feel. Matter of fact, if God didn't want you to feel what you feel, if God didn't want you to feel fear, he probably wouldn't give you, eye, given you eyes to see what's coming at you. He wouldn't given you ears to hear loud noises around you. He wouldn't give you a brain to process what you see and what you hear. And he wouldn't give you a central nervous system that sometimes ra- raises the hair on your arms and your legs and causes you to get a chill in your spine. God gave you a body to experience fear not to avoid fear. God gave you a body that's equipped to experience fear and he also has given us the tools to face our fear. See, here's what I know. Fear doesn't come from God, but God has given you the tools to face your fear. Let me say that again. God doesn't cause our fear. Fear doesn't come from God, but God has given me and God has given you the tools to face your fear. And so today what I want to do is I want to unpack what those tools are and how we can actually face our fear and how we can adopt a version of faith that actually helps us to square up and face our fears. So today we're going to be looking at that same verse that many of us have actually kind of drawn a little bit of inspiration from and accidentally kind of misused. We're going to look to that same passage in 2 Timothy and we're going to look to the to what Paul said to this young pastor who had traveled with him, who had spent time with him, who had gone through controversy with him and a man, a young man that Paul loved, a young pastor that Paul loved named Timothy. In fact, Paul believed in Timothy so much that when Paul was done with his missionary journeys and his church planting journeys, Paul put Timothy in charge of his favorite church that he started and that he began. And so then while he's in prison, Paul writes back and forth to Timothy. And we have what Paul wrote to Timothy. Unfortunately, we don't have in the Bible what Timothy wrote to Paul, but we have the words that Paul wrote to Timothy. And so today we're going to start to learn what Paul wrote to Timothy that helps us overcome and face our fear, not avoid it, not run from it. Here's what it says in verse three of of chapter one. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, when I constantly, constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. And I love that Paul starts out this way. He's like, look, before I get to any instruction, before I get to any encouragement, before I get to anything else that I'm gonna say, I wanna let you know, Timothy, that I am doing for you what I hope everyone is doing for me. I am doing for you what is most important. I am battling for you in prayer. I am talking to the king of the universe, the all-powerful God of the universe, and if there's anyone who can help you, it's him. So I am constantly remembering you in my prayers. I love that he says, before we get to anything else, I'm remembering you in prayer. And I just want to let you know, as your pastor, I don't know if this brings comfort to you or not, I just want to let you know that throughout the last weeks and months and throughout the entire time of our church you as our church you have been covered in prayer i want to let you know every single morning when i have woken up every single morning before i start my day i'm remembering you in prayer i'm praying for your finances i'm praying for your families i'm praying for your strength i'm praying for patience i'm praying for anxiety to leave and i'm praying that your that your that your ability to to that you would have peace in your heart and your mind i'm praying that for you every single day and when 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 I wake up and I'm clear-headed enough, I'm actually praying for you by name. You are covered in prayer. Before we get to anything else that we're going to talk about today, before we get to talk about how faith overcomes, the right version of faith that overcomes fear, I want you to know that you are covered in prayer. I'm doing for you what I hope that you would do for each other and that I would hope that you would do for me, that we're going to the God of the universe on behalf of each other. So then Paul goes on in verse 4, and he wrote this, Remembering your tears, in other words, he knew that Timothy has gone through some stuff. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. He says, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced, I am convinced, is in you also. See, Paul knew that Timothy had struggled for confidence and that he's faced human obstacles. Paul knows that Timothy has faced human difficulty like we all have and like we all are. And Paul says to Timothy, I want you to know I see your faith and I know it's genuine. Because if it wasn't genuine, you would have given up by now. So to someone today, if I could just say this, you're doing better than you think you're doing better than you think. I may not see you right now, but I see your social media, and I want to say I see your faith, and I believe your faith is genuine. You're thinking, I don't know. There's days I feel like giving up. There's, feels, there's days I feel like I'm not making it. There's days I feel like I'm really struggling, and I just want to say if your faith wasn't genuine, just like Paul said to Timothy, you would have given up right now, so I believe your faith is genuine, and I believe you're doing better than you think. You may think like, well, again, I'm not, I'm not doing that well. Hey, You're doing better than you think. You may not be where you want to be, but you're doing better than you think. Paul goes on in verse 6 to write this. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. This is like Paul being Will Smith in Independence Day and saying, boys, it's time to kick these tires and light these fires. And if you think that quote came from Top Gun, let me just let you know, I was with you until yesterday. Yes, here's what, here's what Paul is saying. Look, yes, you were part of losing your way, but you can also be part of finding your way. So rekindle the fires. Yes, you might've lost confidence, but you can rekindle that fire. Yes, you might've forgotten that God is always with you, but you can daily remind yourself through scripture. Yes, you might've forgotten that God wants to be to to be your guide and wants to direct you, but you can remind yourself of that through a habit of prayer. Yes, you might've forgotten that God has wisdom for you today, but you can remind yourself by asking him for wisdom for your very next step. You might've been part of the reason that you lost that fire, but you can be part of the reason that the fire begins again, and it's time to rekindle what God has put in you. Then we get to verse seven. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. There's that phrase, God has not given us a spirit of for fear. Now, that that's the question, what does it mean that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear but allows us to feel and experience fear? What does it mean that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear? Here's what it means. It means Paul knew that Timothy, as a young leader, he had experienced crippling fear at points along the way in his journey as a follower of Jesus and as a young pastor. It means Paul knew Timothy had experienced overwhelming, inescapable, overpowering, judgment-clouding fear. Some of you, you have felt that way at some point in your life. Some of you, or most of you, have felt that, felt that at some point along the last eight weeks. And I just want to let you know, because Paul wanted Timothy to know, when you feel that kind of fear, that fear does not come from God. Fear that clouds your judgment, fear that makes you insecure, fear that feels like you can't possibly overcome it, and, and it just overpowers and does everything into shut to shut you down, that does not come from God. Where does it come from? Sometimes it comes from within. Let's be honest, you have a really good imagination like I have a really good imagination and all of us can come up with a path that leads us right to the edge of despair. Ironically, our our imaginations are never good enough to find the road back from despair. Sometimes it comes from within. Sometimes it comes from the enemy that's trying to hit us and kill us and destroy us all the devil himself. Sometimes it comes from him. But here's the thing, wherever it comes from, I just want you to know that fear does not come from God. But as we're about to see, God has an answer and a response that allows you to not run from your fear, but to face it and overcome it. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, he said at the beginning of verse seven, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. There it is. Those are the tools that God has given us to face our fear and to defeat our fear and to overcome our fear. That power comes from God. Love comes from God. Sound judgment comes from God. That's it. Those are the tools that God has placed in my hands and that God has placed in your hands. And those are the tools that God will always use to bring about peace in the face of fear. So, Let me unpack these a little bit. Let me me just talk about these a little bit, because I feel like if these are the tools that God has placed in our hands to overcome our fear, at a time where we all feel a little bit of fear, it's important for us to talk about how to use the tools that God has given us. And I'm going to do it a little bit inside out and backwards, because there's a way I feel this actually builds to help us accomplish what God wants us to accomplish in facing fear. The first tool in our toolbox is love. So on the the count of three, whether you're sitting on a couch, at a desk, in bed, or in the kitchen, can we say this all together on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. Love. That's right. If you want to talk about the opposite of fear, love is it. John, Jesus' disciple, who by the way talked about himself and called himself the disciple that Jesus Loved when he wrote his letter to as many churches as he could send it to. Here's what he said about love and fear in 1 John four. He said this: There is no fear in love. Instead, he said, perfect love. When we know perfect love, when we've experienced perfect love that God has for us, it would cause us to drive out fear. That perfect love drives out fear. There is no fear in love. Here's what that means: Fear and love cannot coexist. I cannot act in love toward what I fear, and fear can't take hold while I'm choosing to act in love. And I don't know exactly how this plays out, but let me tell you one way that I'm thinking uh, uh, that I'm figuring out how this plays out. Whenever I start to feel fear rising up in me, or start to feel those nerves rising up, or start to feel worry or anxiety rising up in me a little bit, here's one thing that I'm trying to learn and trying to work on. When I feel that, I choose to act in love towards someone around me. So it might mean that every time that you start to feel those nerves creeping in and your thoughts are overwhelming, you text someone else to encourage them. You might think, well, wait, wait, wait. No, I'm feeling anxious. And if I'm feeling anxious, I want someone else to text me some encouragement. I want someone else to get in contact with me so that I'll feel better. And here's the thing that you know. When you get those texts, when you feel that encouragement, you read it, and two minutes later, you're still stuck with your thoughts. You're still stuck at the level of thinking that you had prior to getting that text. But what I know and what you will find out is that when you send that text, you raise the level of thoughts You by thinking about someone else, by acting in love towards someone else, you raise the level of thoughts from where they were to a new place. And when you've sent that text, you're still left with the thoughts that have now risen to a point of love. And there is no fear in love because fear and love cannot coexist. Maybe it's husbands. Every time you look at the bank account and your paychecks are less and less because you're not working as much, and that fear starts to creep in of, well, how are we going to stretch this? And how are we going to stretch? And how are we going to make ends meet? And how are we going to cover groceries? And how are we going to cover diapers? And how are we going to cover all the stuff that we need to cover? Every time that you feel that fear start to creep up and creep up and creep up and creep up and your neck starts to tighten and your shoulders start to tighten and your fists start to tighten. What if instead of letting everything tighten, 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 you decided to open your hands and you decided to express love to someone around you? For many of you, that's going to be towards your wife. It's going to be that you decide to do something to serve and love your wife. So instead of hoping that she cooks dinner that night, like she does most nights, let's be honest, instead of hoping that she cooks dinner once again, you decide that you're going to cook dinner. You decide that you're going to wash the dishes. You decide that you're going to empty the, the garbage disposal. You're going to empty the dishwasher. You're going to put away the dishes. You're going to take care of the kids. You're going to get on the ground and play with the kids so that your wife can have a break. You're going to engage with your kids so that you can show love to your kids. And I just want to tell you, while you're emptying that dishwasher, while you're making that dinner, while you're doing the dishes, while you're playing with the kids, chances are pretty good that while you're showing love to someone else, you will not feel the fear. Not because you avoided it, but because you decided to overcome it with love. Here's the second tool in our, in our toolbox. Sound judgment. Now, this isn't as fun to say as love, but I want us all to say this together on the count of three. Again, wherever you are on the, on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Sound judgment. Sound judgment. In the face of fear, here's what I know. In the face of fear, when, fa- when fear is screaming for your attention, God promises that if you'll look to Him, there is sound judgment judgment. And man alive, do I want that now? Man alive, do I want that every single day of my life? Because COVID or not, I know there are plenty of intense moments in life, in marriage, in relationships, in parenting, in school, in work, in your neighborhood. Everywhere you go, there are plenty of intense moments where it'll be stress and stress and stress and worry and worry and worry and fear and fear and fear. And one of the things that I have always embraced throughout my entire life, and one of the things that I've tried to teach as many people as I can is this. what One of the worst times to make a decision is when you feel afraid. One of the worst times to make a decision is when you feel afraid. And so, for some of you, you're trying to make some decisions right now. And if I could, one of the things that you, one of the best things that you could do, one of the best ways that you could exercise sound judgment is if there's a big decision that you do not have to make right now, you should push off that decision. One of the best exercises of sound judgment is to use the sound judgment of not making a decision while you're afraid. But sometimes you have to make a decision even in the face of fear. Without waiting until fear goes away, you still have to make some decisions. For some of you, you're, you've been dating for a while and you're feeling like this is the right person. How do I know when it's the right time to get married? These are the decisions of life that you can't wait until fear goes away. You know, we don't, hey. How do you know when you're ready to get married? How do you know when it's the right time to move from renting to buying a house? How do you know when it's the right time to go back to school so that you can advance your career? And right now, am I even going to have a career to go back to? For some of you, you're thinking, you know, when's the right? How do we know when it's the right time to have our first kid? Or how do we know when it's the right time to have our next kid? Or if you're thinking about having a kid right now, you're thinking, wait a minute, what if we have a kid and everyone just figures that this is just a boredom baby because of the quarantine? And that's all fine and good, but do we even know the difference between boredom and wanting a kid? And if we have a kid and it's a boredom baby and it's really cute and fun when it's a baby, what do we do when it becomes a quarant teenager? I mean, you have all of this stuff and you will not have fear go away before you someday have to make a decision about that. And the good news is that is that while you fear it because it's stepping into the unknown, like Elsa, you're decide, trying to figure out whether you're gonna step into the unknown. You're trying to figure that out. While it's unknown to you, the good news is that what's unknown to you is not unknown to God. What's unknown by you is known by God. God. David wrote in the Psalms, he said in Psalm 16, he said, Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. And in Jeremiah, God speaking to the nation of Israel in the middle of exile, in the middle of, of their future being on hold, he said, for I know the plans that I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration, plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Here's the good news. God knows and sees and holds the future before you. Even when you can't see it and you can't know it and you can't grasp it. It's only by leaning into God's wisdom and God's strength that you can have the sound judgment that you need to make the right call. And so the final tool in our toolbox is power. So again, on the count of three, can we all say this together? Ready? One, two, three. Power. Some of you, maybe you said it like Arnold Schwarzenegger, power. It's power. See, here's the thing. When you're afraid and fear has you stuck and paralyzed, not only does God give you the sound judgment to make the right decision, God gives you the power to make the decision right. See, one of the things that, that I tell to just about every couple that I do premarriage counseling with um, is, is, is simply this, that you don't have to fully agree on every decision. And you know, those of you who are married are like, Duh, we never come to a place where we fully agree on every decision. But once a decision is made, you stop arguing about the decision and you work together to make the decision right. Matter of fact, last week I, I told that to Garrett and to Kayla as we were doing pre marriage counseling, and I told them chances are pretty good you're gonna you're gonna actually hear this line in a sermon coming up. And Garrett and Kayla, this is your big day before your big day. Congratulations! This is something that we uh, that we understand in life and in marriage that we don't have to agree on every decision. We don't have to always always make the right call. But once the call has been made, we come together, we work together to make the call right. We don't always make the right decision, but what what it turns out to be is that when we unite around a decision, we work together and we make the decision right. And I'm just going to throw this out there. What if while you're making decisions and while you're kind of afraid to make a decision and you feel paralyzed and you feel like you don't know what the right next step is, what if you just decided to You know what? We're going to pray about it. We're going to seek the face of God. We're going to ask God for sound judgment. And then when we believe that God has given us sound judgment, we're going to make the call. We're going to make the decision. And then we are never going to look back at that call again. We're never going to look back at that decision. We're never going to question the decision. We're going to simply come together and work together and put every ounce of energy that we have to bring all the power that we have to make this decision Right. We're going to pray to make the right decision, but then we're going to bring all of our energy and all of our power to make that decision right. See, when you look back and when we spend time arguing and going back and back and back and back and revisiting and rehashing that decision because we didn't agree on it before, what we do is we end up stuck in the past. And if I could say something, I think that's exactly where the enemy wants you. Because as long as you're focused on the past, you can't move forward today. So what if you decided, you know what, we're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to go back and rehash the past and rehash the past and talk about what decision we should have made. We're going to simply bring every ounce of our, our energy and every ounce of our ability and every ounce of our talent and every ounce of our work to make the decision right. See, you have that power. You have that power as a Jesus follower because Jesus gives you that power. You have that power as a husband or a wife following Jesus because Jesus gives you that power. You have that power as a parent or a kid because Jesus gives you that power. You have your, that power as an employee or as an employer because Jesus gives you that power that once the decision is made, assume it's the right decision and that becomes the power that works to make the decision right. See, I remember figuring a bunch of this out when we, were, um, when we were trying to figure out when and how we were supposed to move to Las Cruces to plant movement and to start movement church. I remember thinking that for most of the people and for, for everyone that I have ever talked to, uh, just about everyone I've ever talked to, most people who knew me thought, man, Chris looks really confident. Chris looks like he has this all together. Chris looks like he's got a great plan. And Chris is not scared at all about planting this church. And then for about two or three people who really knew me well, they knew that I was absolutely terrified. They knew that I was absolutely terrified that I was going to screw this up. They knew that I was absolutely, absolutely terrified that we might move here and that we were going to leave, leave good jobs and leave a great church and we were going to come here and then it might not work at all. I was terrified. Just about everyone who knew me thought I was incredibly confident and inside I was absolutely terrified that it might not work and that it might fail and that we might just fall apart and that everything that we had believed and prayed and worked for might just not work out. And I remember reading this verse about three weeks after we had moved to Las Cruces and in the middle of that fear, in the middle of of, of a little bit of a night of almost a panic attack, I remember reading that verse and thinking, okay, God hasn't given me this spirit of fear. That's coming from in me. That's coming from stuff around me. That's coming from books that I've read. What God has given me, is love, and so we. So the next morning, when Jalen and I were talking, I just said, "Look, let's make a decision that our church and us, until and even before our church starts, let's just be all about loving people. Because if we're if we're active in loving people, we won't be overcome by fear. And and let's make a decision that we're going to pursue God's judgment and God's wisdom over anything else. Let's let's pursue sound judgment so that we're going to do our best to make the decision right by God." And then let's make the decision that whatever decision we make, whether it seems like the best decision or not, we're simply going to put all of our energy into doing what we've decided to do. Let's use God's love. Let's use God's sound judgment. And let's use God's power to accomplish what God wants to accomplish in us. And, and, and I'll, I'll be honest, the fear didn't always go away. But eventually, the fear was overcome. And I want that for every single one of you, that whatever the fear is, wherever the fear comes from, whatever is causing fear for you right now, or whatever causes fear for you three years from now, whatever caused fear for you three months from three months back in the past, I want you to know you don't have to run from it. You don't have to avoid it. You can face it. And you can face it with God's power, with God's sound judgment, and with God's love for others. See, it's easy to say, I'm choosing faith over fear. It's difficult, but it's better to choose a version of faith that actually overcomes our fear. And I want that for you, and I want that for me, and I want that for your family, and I want that for my family. I want for every single one of us, not to simply say we're choosing faith over fear, but to choose God's love, to choose God's sound judgment, and to choose God's power to make the right decision, and then to make the decision right. It's a lot of things that are easy to say, but God has better for every single one of us. So let's live what he has, not just what's easy to say. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are the God who loves us more than we could possibly know. Thank you that we can come to you in prayer. Thank you that we can come to you in your word. Thank you that you have far better for us than we have for ourselves. Thank you that you give us love, and you call us to love. Thank you that you call us to be people of sound judgment. Thank you that you call us to be people of power. And God, I just simply pray that in the face of fear, God, we would not be people who choose a sound bite, but God, we would run deep into what you have for us. God, we would choose to be people of deep love. God, we would be people who who don't just seek to make the easy decision, but be people who make the wise, sound decision. And God, that we would be people who choose to exercise the power that you have for us and choose to put all our energy and all of our ability and all of our talent and all of our strength into being the people that you've called us to be. So God, help us to do that. And I pray, God, that we would never be people who avoid our, try to avoid our fear, but we'd be people who use every tool that you've given us to square up and face it and overcome it. God, we love you. Help us to do this. Help us to have wisdom to know what to do. Help us to have courage to actually do it. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.